Hello everyone, and welcome to the Mimetic Exegete Podcast. I'm your host, Simon Skidmore. In the last episode, we considered Isaiah's call narrative, in which he beheld the Lord's glory. He is overcome with a sense of unworthiness and fear in the presence of the Lord. This experience marks the beginning of Isaiah's transformation, which sets him apart from his contemporaries, who continue to arrogantly oppress and exploit the poor in pursuit of their desired objects without any guilt or shame. Isaiah then confesses his sin, which is quickly purged by an angel who touches his lips with a burning coal from the holy altar. Now, standing guiltless before the Lord, Isaiah experiences restoration and renewal and is empowered to live out his calling as a holy prophet. When the Lord calls for someone to speak his message to Israel, Isaiah volunteers to preach this message of judgment upon the nation's leaders, which is actually a message of hope for the poor and marginalized. Following the downfall of Israel's oppressive regime, a holy remnant will be rebuilt into a righteous, prosperous nation that will inspire the other nations to imitate their positive example. Isaiah represents the beginning of this righteous remnant, people who refuse to be subduced by mimetic desire, but set their focus upon faithfulness. Let's read on now from chapter 7, verse 1. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and his people shook as trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shia Jeshub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. And he said to me, Take guard, be calm, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smouldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Remaliah. Because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Remaliah has devised against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it. Let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tabil as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus and the head of Damascus is Rezin. And within sixty-five years Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. If you do not actively strengthen your faith, your faithfulness will be exposed. Now let's talk a little bit about the political climate in which this story takes place. After the death of Solomon, ancient Israel splits into the northern kingdom, which follows Jeroboam, and Judah, which followed Solomon's son Rehoboam. Many years after the kingdoms were divided, Pekah the son of Remaliah was king in northern Israel, which according to 2 Kings 15 verse 29 was captured by Syria. Now absorbed into the Syrian war machine, Pekah and northern Israel, also referred to as Ephraim or Samaria in this text, joined forces to wage war on the kingdom of Judah in southern Israel. 
Ahaz, the king of Judah and his people, are overcome with fear when he realizes that the might of Hazel and the Syrians is now pressing further south to wage war on southern Israel. Ahaz now faces the same dilemma once faced by Pekah, king of northern Israel, either pledge allegiance to Syria or risk death by resisting the invasion and be replaced by the Syrian sympathizer, the son of Tabiel. The Lord sends Isaiah to encourage Ahaz to resist the invasion with the knowledge that Judah will survive the Syrian attack. To deliver the message of hope, Isaiah is instructed to bring his son, Shia Jashub, which means a remnant will return. The impotent Syrian Ephraimite coalition is described through the imagery of two smouldering stumps of firebrands. In other words, Ahaz need not be afraid because the mimetic desire and violence of this coalition weakly smoulders and their days are numbered. Ahaz must strengthen his desire to rule over an independent Israel and fight for this desired object in order to remain faithful to God and the people of Judah. Reading on now from verse 10. Again the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask for a sign of the Lord your God, let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. In that day, the Lord will whistle for the fly that is at the end of the streams of Egypt and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria, and they will all come and settle in the steep ravines and in the clefts of the rock and on all the thorn bushes and on all the pastures. In that day, the Lord will shave with a razor that is hired beyond the river with the king of Assyria, the head and the hair of the feet. It will sweep away the beard also. In that day, a man will keep alive a young cow and two sheep, and because of the abundance of milk that they give, he will eat curds, for everyone who is left in the land will eat curds and honey. In that day, every place where there used to be a thousand vines worth a thousand shekels of silver will become briars and thorns. With bow and arrows a man will come there, for all the land will be briars and thorns. And as for all the hills that used to be hoed with a hoe, you will not come there for fear of briars and thorns, but they will become a place where cattle are let loose and where sheep tread. Then the Lord said to me, Take a large tablet and write on it in common characters with a stylus, Maha Shalal Hashbaz. And I will get reliable witnesses, Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jerokiah, to attest for me. And I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. 
Then the Lord said to me, Call his name Mehashalal Hashbaz. For before the boy knows how to cry, My father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. The Lord spoke to me again. Because this people has refused the waters of Shiloh, that flow gently and rejoice over Rezin, the son of Remaliah. Therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river, mighty and many, the king of Assyria and all his glory. And it shall rise over all its channels and go over all its banks, and it shall sweep on into Judah. It will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck, and its outspread wings will fill the breadth of your land, Emmanuel. Be broken, you peoples, and be shattered. Give ear, all you far countries. Strap on your armour and be shattered. Strap on your armour and be shattered. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak a word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. In order to bolster the faith of Ahaz, Isaiah offers a sign of confirmation. But Ahaz refuses to receive the sign because presumably is already decided to place his trust in the king of Assyria. According to 2 Kings 16 verses 1 to 9, Ahaz submits himself to Tiglath-Pileser, the king of Assyria, and gives him all the gold, silver and treasures of the palace and temple in return for his protection. The king of Assyria then marches upon Damascus, taking the people captive and killing Rezin, the king of Assyria. In his attempt to foil Syria's campaign against Judah, Ahaz turns his back on God and becomes ensnared by mimetic desire and rivalry as he joins the perpetual rivalry between Assyria and its allies. For this reason, the Lord announces that Egypt and Assyria will ultimately destroy Judah. Historically speaking, Judah survive the Egyptian and Assyrian invasion until they are finally conquered by Babylon in 587 BCE. But by dragging them into battle as Rezin dragged Pekka to fight against Judah, Assyria and Egypt will destroy them. However, a note of hope is sounded for the faithful remnant who are left in the land to enjoy its fruitfulness. With their oppressors vanquished, the faithful remnant will live like kings, enjoying curds and honey in abundance. Isaiah is then told to write upon a tablet, Mehashalal Hashbaz, which means, Spoil speeds, prey hastens. In other words, Judah will soon become a prey and a spoil for Assyria's enemies. The violence of warfare is described as a torrent of water that breaks the riverbank and floods the entire land of Judah. To drive the message home in true dramatic style, Isaiah then provides a sign for Ahaz by fathering a son via a prophetess and calling the child Mehashalal Hashbaz. The Lord declares that while the child is still an infant, Syria will be destroyed, but Judah will continue to be decimated by their Assyrian allies. Earlier in the passage, another child is referred to as Emmanuel, which means God is with us. This child will eat curds and honey alongside the righteous remnant who remain after Judah's destruction. God is with this faithful remnant, empowering them to withstand the fury of the nations who will ultimately destroy each other through mimetic violence. 
reading on now from chapter 8, verse 11. For the Lord spoke to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not seek alliance whenever this people seek alliance, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honour as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offence and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble upon it. They will fall and be broken. They will be snared and taken. Bind up the testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord, who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will place my hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom God has given me are signs and portents in Israel, from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, Inquire of mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? to the teaching and to the testimony. If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no future. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Even if the rest of the people are overcome by fear, Isaiah must refuse to imitate them and stand firm in his faith. We see an interesting commentary on fear in this passage. The Judahites have set their desire upon riches and power and fear these objects will be taken away from them by the Syrian Ephraimite coalition. As the coalition imitates the Judahites' desire for riches and honour, a mimetic cycle is set in motion which sees these two parties locked in a bitter rivalry over a commonly desired object. This fear drives Ahaz to lose faith in the Lord and form an alliance with Assyria for protection against his enemies. In so doing, Ahaz commits the same sin as Pekah, as the lord of mimetic violence becomes the stumbling block that will ultimately destroy both the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel. The people will set themselves against God and their king Ahaz, who they blame for their destruction and poverty as they wander in perpetual gloom and anguish. Rather than imitating this sin and pursuing his mimetic idols at all costs, Isaiah is called to engage in a positive cycle of faithfulness. Instead of fearing losing his mimetic idols, Isaiah must fear the mimetic havoc and destruction that follows pursuing them. Only then will the Lord become a sanctuary to Isaiah and the faithful remnant, protecting them from the snares of mimetic desire and violence. As we read on from chapter 9 verse 1, a vision of their restoration is offered. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, upon them, has shone light. 
You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood, will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty is God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end, on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Although the day of the Lord's judgment is perpetual darkness, gloom and anguish for Israel's leaders, for the faithful remnant it is the dawning of a beautiful new era. This new era is characterized by joy, prosperity, justice, righteousness as the faithful remnant repent from their mimetic idols. With no idols to inspire justice and violence, the yoke of the oppressor is removed and the violence of warfare vanquish. Another child is born who will arise to rebuild the Davidic monarchy. However, this king will not imitate the sins of his fathers but provide a positive example for the people to follow. Unlike Ahaz, who the people will grumble against, this king will be perpetually regarded as a wise counselor, father, leader figure who faithfully guides the people into righteousness, justice, peace, and prosperity in Israel. As God's faithful representative on earth, this king will be so revered that the people will honor and obey him as if he were God himself. As Israel imitate this example, other nations are drawn into this positive cycle of mimesis and the king's dominion will continue to expand. Zebulun and Naphtali were part of the northern kingdom that followed Jeroboam, but in the latter time, this region called Galilee of the Nations will be absorbed into this new, revivified Davidic kingdom. Many Christians identify this Davidic king as Jesus, and especially with a reference to Galilee, where Jesus comes from, he does fit this description quite well. But just to be clear, Isaiah almost certainly had an earlier Davidic king in mind, someone who would reform and revive the nation by establishing their independence from Assyria and Egypt and leading the nation in righteousness and faithfulness. Thanks again for joining me on the Mimetic Exegete podcast. If you'd like to continue the conversation, you may do so on the Mimetic Exegete Facebook group. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you.